Hello, welcome to the Richard Herring podcast feed powered by ACAST Plus. Thanks so much for listening to these. Do tell your friends if you enjoy them. The Can I Have My Ball Back Tour is back on the road this week. We're in London on the 7th in the Bloomsbury Theatre and Leicester Square Theatre on the 9th. I've got quite a lot of tickets to sell for both of those, so if you're in London, please come along. Then the 13th in Cambridge, few tickets left for that one. Uh, Leicester on the 14th, Leeds on the 15th. Uh, Salford on the 16th, Newcastle on the 17th, which is sold out on the website, but I think there might be a few more tickets to release. Uh, So do come along if you want to see me talk about my balls and one of them not being here anymore. It's a very funny show. Four star reviews in the Telegraph and the Standard. Um, Anyway, look, let's sit back, relax and enjoy another fantastic podcast from Richard Herring, the genius podcaster. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hello, Richard Herring here. I'd like the casual House of Games double trophies in the background of the video, guys. Pretty cool, right? Uh, Welcome to another Rahalastapa. And we've got an amazing guest for you. It's the brilliant Genius, Tim Minchin. Uh, check out his TV show, Upright, which we barely talked about. It's really good. Um, look, we're doing loads of live shows. They're coming up really soon. In fact, they're starting in London on March the 9th with Michael Palin and Ashlyn B. It's all sold out, so you can't come to that one. March the 16th. We've got Nish Kumar and Ian and Barry from the Parapod movie. There are very few tickets left for that one. Master 23rd, we have Izzy Sooty. She's brilliant and has yet to be announced in my brain. It might be out by the time you get to this. Check richtain.com slash gigs for all info on these. And Master 30th, not yet confirmed the guest. There's someone very exciting who's a quiz show host who I hope we've got for that one. And we're going for some crazy big names. You never know who we're going to end up with. And also, April the 6th, we have got Lolly Adafopi and Adam and Joe. Adam Buxton, Joe Cornish, together at last. They ne- they said they'd never work together again, but they've come back for me Um these shows will all go up online. That one is sold out as well, of course. Uh, March 28th, I am in Birmingham. Guest yet to be announced. Also sold out. Huge theatre. Thank you so much, Birmingham, for your support. Norwich, April the 25th. Also sold out. Thanks for your support, Norwich. You guys are great. No guests yet announced for those. That's how we like it. London, stop waiting for the guests. Just come and buy your tickets. Uh, it's worth booking ahead. Uh, badgers get the news on the guests first. If you're not a badger, just book some tickets for uh, those remaining gigs uh, in London. 
we are planning on doing more later in the year. Just keep on checking richdane.com slash gigs. There's a load more at the Square Theatre in October and November. I think those are the dates. Yes, they are. Uh, every Monday in October and November, you can start penciling that in. And we will do a few more around the country as well, I believe. Uh, so do keep supporting us if you can, either by coming to see the shows or going to gofasterstrike.com slash badges and becoming a badger or go to gofasterstrike.com and buy one of the Emergency Question books. That will help us fund more podcasts. The Trump card game, very enjoyable. That will help us uh, do more podcasts too. We have big plans this year. So if you can afford £3 a month to give us uh, for, for a badge and uh, in return for eight podcasts a month, seem pretty good value to me, then that will help us make more relatives and this sitcom we're going to do later in the year or early in 2021. Uh, it's all looking good. Uh, there's also a gig at the March 24th at the O2 it's not even in the indigo room. It's in the blue room. It, that's usually just where people hang out and have a drink. It's not a lot of tickets. It's only for O2 customers. Go to your priority app and register your interest and you hopefully might win some tickets to see me talk to James Acaster. Come on. Those are some pretty good podcasts coming up. All of that will end up on the regular feed for people who aren't O2 customers. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's looking pretty good. So thank you for your support. Um, feels like this is my year. That's what I'm going for, 2020. And I hope something really terrible happens to me in about a week's time, just to add real dramatic irony to my hubristic excitement there. Anyway, have you got two House of Games trophies? I don't think so. There's not many people who've got two of them. And I'm one of the only ones, my friends. Uh, uh, anyway, and uh, yeah, no pointless trophy there, though. Anyway, let's crack on and relax. It's four minutes in. Come on, that's crazy. People are going to be furious in the comments and then I will delete them if they say what time they have to start listening and watching. Um, you've been great. Thank you very much. hope you're enjoying these fantastic podcasts. Uh, I can't remember doing them. It was so long ago. Why am I talking even longer? It's Rahalastapa with Timothy... I want to say Christopher Minchin. Nah, it's going to bother me that I've got his middle name wrong. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man uh, who has been lauded in the Spectator magazine this week. It's Richard Herring. <laughs> You're much better than last week's audience. Welcome. Welcome, my fine friends, to Richard Herring's Lexic, Sexic, Texic podcast. Uh, You've got to come up with a new uh, thing for podcasts. So many podcasts. Uh, I've decided to exit from all words beginning with L, S and T, like lexicon. I'm going to leave lexicon, sex and Texas. Don't don't have to have X in them, but it's better if they do. Uh, and I'm going to leave them by the 31st of October 2019. Get or And if I'd rather be dead in a ditch than that happening. I know you listen at home, you're thinking, that's a long time ago. Well, for, it, was three, it was in three days' time when I... When I <laughs> but I was talking to a bunch of chunky bearded men who work in IT and stay away from social situations the other day. 
Uh, they call it Rehellistimus. I don't know what's going to I got, I got, no, I got, I had a big interview with the Spectator magazine, right, which is, I, uh, I was a bit nervous about doing it. It's a slightly, uh, uh, fascist tone. Uh, and it's a magazine for fascists. And, um, they were quite nice about me. They, uh, they, they, uh, so they, they said I was the podcast king or the usual sort of stuff they say about me. Uh, uh, they did say, off stage, he seems like a man replay, replaying an argument with himself. I mean, that doesn't sound like me, does it? So that's... <laughs> don't, think, don't think they've got there. But they, they weren't as nice about you as they were about me. And I just want to just... So that, that thing I said was... He said, built on a fan base of chunky bearded men who stay away from social situations, who work in IT... Uh, if you didn't have many friends, you'd probably like Richard Herring. Is what that's, what that's what they're saying about you. I mean, I want to prove him wrong, but I'm looking at the front row, and it's... And you're not a chunky, bearded man who works in IT, are you, madam? What, what, do, you, what do you do for a living? I'm a maths teacher. You're a maths teacher. That's a very... Is this one of your students you're with here? <laughs> I approve of that wholeheartedly. It's fantastic work. Uh, so there you go, the spectator. How many people would classify themselves uh, just by cheering as a chunky bearded man who stay away from social situations? Cheer now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, if you were that afraid of social situations, you wouldn't have joined in with that cheering. <laughs> this is a social, this is a very social situation. We all hang around afterwards. What's your name, madam? Caroline. Caroline, love it to meet. We all uh, go for a drink afterwards if you fancy it. Yeah. We could do some sums. We talk about calculus. I've forgotten how to do it, but I've got two A-level maths, so... You can bring the student, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, it's quite dark, so I can't see uh, if he's younger than you are or, you know, or not. Are you, what, what, who are you? I'm her nephew. You're her nephew, yeah. That's the way. That's the way. Well done, mate. If she's that good at teaching maths, she's going to do very well. <laughs> good, thank you. What's your name? Indigo. Indigo? <laughs> we were just talking, me and Tim Minchin were just talking about backstage about uh, the colour indigo. We were talking about, I, I asked him the emergency question, what's your favourite colour for the backstage interview? He said, uh, magenta. Magenta. <laughs> And I said how I thought indigo gets a bad rap because it's in the rainbow, but nothing's coloured indigo, is it, in the world? It's, in this, it's one of the main seven, but you never go, oh, there's something indigo. It's like, what, like my four-year-old daughter knows the word indigo, but when do you ever fucking use that? In part, apart from someone thought, oh, let's name a child. That, were, you, were you a bit purple when you were born? Yeah. It's like you couldn't breathe. Tim's daughter's called Violet, so it must have been worse for her. So, um... <laughs> Good. Well, I don't need to write any jokes, Tim. I told you it just it would come... I just... It would just come up. <laughs> well, good luck with, uh, the ma- with Caroline, your maths teacher. Miss, <laughs> Mrs. Harris, as you call her. Um, so... <laughs> we'll crack straight on. Thank you. I wanted to prove that guy wrong, you fuckers. You bearded... <laughs> You bearded fuckers. I've got a, for people at home, it's a very mixed audience, and there are some women here. There's at least three women here. I can see three. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Because Tim Minchin's on today. So, uh, <laughs> they're, they're very excited. Uh, will you please welcome my guest this week? He's probably best known for telling students how best to live their lives whilst wearing a funny hat. <laughs> it is Tim Minchin, ladies and gentlemen. 
wearing a funny hat. And a funny cloak. <laughs> you are a funny <laughs> You're a funny hat. Yeah, you weren't mic'd up when you are telling me I was a funny hat. You're a funny hat. <laughs> how are you, Tim? Good. Look how young you were. I was 40. Well, I was probably about 42 in the photo. Um, good. How are yeah. you? That I was mean, good. I'm... That was a good start. It was Indigo all right. Indigo and his breaks. auntie maths teacher. Yeah, it was worked out well. Sometimes you just get that bit of Ooh, luck, don't gift, you? Yeah. Bit of luck Someone in the Someone having sex with their family. <laughs> <laughs> luck, luck. Didn't see that coming. Third appearance uh, on yep. uh, and nearly we were discussing the backstage number one number I think 114 and number 250 something it's not yeah. quite but nearly you I'm know. nearly the tent poles that hold this fucking thing uh, yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am I'm just slightly skewiff in the centre yeah so you know mm. we might we can keep going but you have to come back in about another 140 I think you should stop yeah you did say that. <laughs> Not just so I appear to be a bookend, <laughs> but just for everyone's good. I should do. It's, you know, when you're getting a bloke back for the third time, you're going to think, come on. Think? Let these beardy men go <laughs> <laughs> somewhere to socialise. It's just getting successful, Tim, after eight Is years. Is it really? It's just... Is you starting to get some numbers? Just starting to get people in. You cracked the 30. Cracked. <laughs> <laughs> good. I feel like that. we're quite a long way apart. Do we yeah, need come to be in. so far apart? I don't know. Probably something to do with feels a bit performative. <laughs> Come on over. Tell me if you're a camera person, this is becoming a problem. They can move the cameras. <laughs> I don't know. We, did we have these chairs last time you were here? These are these are relatively this, new. This, have you spent your budget? This we spent our money on this. Good, good. So, uh, what brings you to the United Kingdom, uh, Tim? Touring. Yeah. Again. How's it going? First time in a long time. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. It's good. I like playing music on stage and swearing. Anyone come? People come in to... People come. Yes, still... people come. Um, Can you make a living from doing stand? Do you have to do another job in the day? I just don't. I, I wrote Matilda and none of it matters. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write Matilda and all of it matters. It's the nature of comedy. It's yeah. the opposite of the truth. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's really, really good fun. And I do actually have this quite often on stage I have this moment in the UK where I feel quite genuinely like holy fuck people just I went away for eight years and then like I haven't toured really in the UK for since the orchestra show and they just came back it's lovely it's lovely that's good yay YouTube for keeping me alive (laughs) I suppose yeah so you, since we last... We had kind of a, a difficult year professionally. When did we talk? We, t- we talked in 20... I think 20... So, no, it was just before Brexit, because I think you predicted that oh, yeah. there'd be no That's Brexit right, yeah. and that Donald, and Trump, that Donald wouldn't, Trump wouldn't, wouldn't get in. Get in. Yeah. And something else as well. Yeah, something else fucked. <laughs> so yeah. I think it was just before... So 2016, so there's been a little uh, water under the 2016? Bridge. Yeah. Right. Because it's before that was twenty, right? Yeah. So have it's we, three years. We must been... have already talked about my film closing down, or maybe not. No, I don't think we did. I think that oh, was. Right. I think I think it was still ongoing. So you you had written a, a DreamWorks. Oh, I was film. doing Robin Hood. Yeah. When we spoke last. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. To, so I... that went well. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, Robin Hood was like the most successful of the things I was doing. But <laughs> <laughs> it was the most famous flop of the last. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I was making an animated film, and that yeah. got shut down. And then um, Groundhog Day went to Broadway, and that got shut down. And then I moved to Sydney and felt depressed for a while, and now I'm doing lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's 
you'd put a lot of time into larrikins, right? and, and you yeah. made three quarters of it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And then they just decided that they didn't. It's new people took over, and they didn't. I don't know. What the question is that I guess I'll never know the answer to because Americans don't tell the truth. Um, <laughs> I mean, they do, but they they they, they treat artists in in that world, in the Hollywood world, the executives treat artists as this sort of thing to manipulate rather than a them peers. They're like. They're like, what monkeys do we hire to do this thing? And then how do we make the monkey not cross? It's more like that. And yeah. So it's very hard to get straight answers, and I'm actually very interested in straight answers, um, giving them as well. And, um, I, uh, yeah, so I, I spent four years on the film, and I ended up directing it, and it was, um, yeah, huge, beautiful. It was a $90 million DreamWorks musical with singing animals, Australian Hugh Jackman and... Yeah. You know, all that Jackie Weaver and <coughs> Margot Robbie and Naomi Watts and Ben Mendelsohn and every, all, the, all the Aussies doing voices and Hans Zimmer was doing the score with me. And uh, it was pretty cool and really hard work. And uh, the way... I, it's, it's hard to talk about um, losing a... Like, obviously, making an animated film is such a sort of obtuse privilege thing to be allowed to do and the loss of it is not something anyone can go that must feel like this it's it's very odd yeah. but it really is like um it's like spending four years building a full-sized house out of matchsticks but you've had to hew the matchsticks yourself like a, and invent wood first like you're <laughs> you're literally just going well harry wrote this my friend harry cripps wrote this script and then we developed it and then you then there's people drawing sketches of characters and then you're taking videos of movement and you just build it bit by bit until you're having full meetings about the surface of a feather or the way eucalyptus leaves hang yeah. and the way light hits eucalyptus. I mean, it's, there, there is n- the, the level of um, sort of fidelity is infinite. It's, it's, it's actually really exciting and very, very tedious and, well, everything. Um, but we were at the stage where you could watch a 3D fully surfaced, fully digitally lit song with Hugh Jackman's voice in it and... And whole bits of these beautifully developed characters by you know French animators and all that, and and yeah, and then when Universal Pictures bought DreamWorks, the question I'll never know the answer to is: Did they go? Did they get a, a team of experts in animation, animated musicals, and go? You know, this one's not going to work. In fact, I do know the answer. They didn't. Um, <laughs> they, they genuinely didn't. They they, they they bought the studio. And Universal also in another anim- animation studio, which is run by a guy called Chris Melodondry, who's one of the great geniuses of the form, who made the uh, little yellow guys and all that. Um, what are those fuckers called? Minions. Minions. Um, <laughs> and he's a genius. Let's call them the little so yellow said, fuckers. Yeah, so yeah, no, and they asked, Spickle me and the little yellow fuckers. <laughs> yeah. And those movies on. are great. <laughs> and they said to Chris Melodondry, what do you think of this film? And Chris went, oh, I don't know. And they just went, well, we'll shut it down. And it was, with, it was like 45 million bucks in and 110 people working on it or whatever. And uh, fully recorded. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so the, it's, um, the thing that made me depressed, Groundhog Day was probably actually more brutal. Broadway is brutal in a different way. Um, but um, I just the loss of time, the th- yeah, of you know, the things I could have been doing in that yeah. time, just I couldn't get over that. That was a pervasive thought. I could have been, I could have been doing this or that because I'm quite sort of um, yeah, yeah. an agitated person who likes making things and to have four years of making things put in the trash seemed vandal. There's just no way that 
they, that someone might come in and say, hey, we've spent well, all this money, let's finish it off. Yeah, well, so let's finish off for another 25 quid at least. Yeah. Just have some really good bits. And then well, going, exactly. Now what happens? So yeah, leave, leave them wanting more. <laughs> Do some glove well, puppets. Yeah, I mean, you just... <laughs> They Netflix wanted to buy it, Animal Logic wanted to buy it, and um, Universal, uh, the, the short stories Universal made it um, completely unviable, non-viable to buy. Right. And when I asked one of the executives why you would take something that you've already used as a write-off against the expense of the studio, which is basically what they did, they just took something that was a risk and went, if we just take that forty-five million bucks already spent and that forty-five million bucks still to spend. And all those people, and we take it from the risk column because we don't know if it will succeed because we've never made a musical and we don't know what that is. If we put it in the column of like stuff we get to write off legally against the purchase of the $3.7 billion purchase of the studio, then it's a plus. <laughs> yeah. One phone call. It's, yeah. it's pretty gross, but, you know, fuck, people have worse problems. As I say on stage when I talk about this in my tour, I think the very definition of privilege is like having a big sad because someone shut down your hundred million dollar car- <laughs> hundred million dollar cartoon. <laughs> but it's relative, right? It's my fucking hundred million dollar cartoon. Um, but yeah. So, so um, uh, Jimmy, uh, one of the execs, said he, he said, well, it's schmuck insurance. I said, how can you say... I said, sell it to Netflix or something. He went, yeah, we'll, we'll sell it to them for the full cost of what we spent on it plus the cost of the software, which they'd have to lease off us because it's unique DreamWorks software, right. plus um, the cost of retraining the animators to use that software, plus we would, take, we, we would demand that we take, you know, 50, 40, whatever percent of any profit. And right. I'm like, well, no one's going to do that, bro, like... It's hard enough to make any profit off an, uh, off an animated film anyway. Sure. And he went, yeah. And I went, what do you mean? He went, well, it's schmuck insurance. And I went, well, oh, right. What he, what he meant was, I look like a schmuck if you make money off it. So yeah. we're going to kill it dead. Yeah. That's what the subtext was. I mean, it's, a t- it's show business is a very tough business. And you've had a lot of success. I mean, that's Well, I totally you... think of it like that. Yeah. I go, the amount of luck I have had... I, I am still due a lot of unluck. Yeah. You know, like, it's, uh, it, 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 it's hard to see that when you're in it because you think, but I've worked. But it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. I, I, it is pure freaking luck that I've had Matilda and my, you know, as I say in my show, that I was misdiagnosed as a comedian for all those years and that seemed to work. And, <laughs> and, and, and then I had some unluck. But yeah. the trouble is when the mechanism of unluck is psychopathic humans, it's... Uh, you, you have to see them just as s- cells of unluck. You know, just like you have to see all the things that are terrible in the world as uh, if you take a macro view, the only way I can get my head around evil of, or yucky stuff in the world is to think of the world as an organism of which some cells are cancerous. And, you know, so if you, if you think about that and then come into, like, just psychopathic execs, it's all just like, yeah, of course there's some shitty cells. Yeah. And it seems like leaving LA was good for you, and going going back to Sydney. Yeah. Like the, the well, we were always going to do that. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't have the film shut down and then waddle home. The um, Sydney twenty eighteen was the aim for years yeah. since before we left England. Yeah. So we were going to get the film done. In fact, the film was going slow, so I was going to be facing commuting from Sydney to LA for the year. I, we still had to go on it, but didn't have to do that in the end. There was a moment when they shut it down where, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> it's relentless, you know. Yeah. I wish someone would shut down my Radio 4 sitcom so I didn't have to write it, but... 
sort of, that's how I know you feel. It's the same, it's sort of the same, except that my problem is I haven't really done any of the work yet. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a month to do it. But I probably it's, all right. It's very similar, though. Yeah. You're an animated character. <laughs> you look like you could have been drawn by an eccentric Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> it's not realistic, but it's beautiful. <laughs> And you've done some other things. You've been in Squinters, which I presume is about... It's people going to work masturbating on the way to work, isn't it? Yeah, is that, is yeah, that's what work, it's about. Work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Commu- <laughs> commuter tossers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Squinters is a little thing written by friends of mine that yeah. it was... Um, I, I sort of was very glad to be asked to do it, and it was a, um, filmed in one day, so we did six episodes in one... Like, the whole thing was filmed in one day did a couple of rehearsals a few days before right. and then just filmed and filmed and filmed because yeah. the whole show was, was just all these um, divergent stories and our story was one story and we filmed for 14 hours and I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So if you watch that show, <laughs> I can't talk, but luckily we filmed it chronologically and at the end he has a breakup and gets very upset, so I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so it sort of worked, but yeah, okay. it's a good day. I got to kiss Andrea Dimitriades, who's incredibly beautiful. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Was it f- for the show or just... No, she, no, she, no. Passed? Just, uh, she just passed out at the end of the day and I just kissed her. Kissed and, her uh, while she was asleep. Uh, well, you, you also played the blue it's wiggle okay. in, uh, in Orange is the New Brown. I'm obsessed with the wiggles and you played the blue wiggle in a... I'm guessing in a sketch show, is it? This yeah, do you, do you, yeah. Do you I'm, know Nazim Hussain? He's not... Uh, no. Uh, anyway, Australian comedian, amazing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know anything about Australia. Uh, again, so, so Squinters... Um, I don't believe Australia exists. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm one should. of those guys. Yeah, like the Earth and I've flat. been there and I still don't believe <laughs> This is a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> that quokka, that kangaroo is a conspiracy. Um, uh, Naz is a great Australian stand-up, yeah. um, Sri Lankan Aussie. And uh, somehow one of the networks, somehow he convinced Channel 9, which is like a terrestrial network that usually does like, hey, um, that they'd let this uh, Sri Lankan Aussie do a sitcom about racism, basically. Okay. And uh, we all played the Wiggles and he was the long-lost brown Wiggle, yeah. <laughs> so, but that's, that's been a great thing about moving back to Australia is yeah. that I, Squinters and, and Orange is the New Brown are both things that usually I'm fully in control of everything I do, like I'm... And but now people just go come and do this and I go yeah it'd be great as yeah. a sort of like trying to be part of the vibe. Yeah. Hmm. And what was the what 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 went wrong with the Robin Hood? Uh, oh, Robin Hood's all right. I mean, yeah. Um, I haven't seen it. Well, the Otto. I didn't really notice it coming out, but I've no. got two young kids. Did anyone see the Robin Hood with uh, with yeah. Tim as Fry it up? Yeah, you're his fans. Yeah. Uh, and so had, was it good? Yeah. Was, Tim was a mate, yeah. I think, no, I think I'm spotting a little bit of bias. In this room. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Fox was shit. Tim can act. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing, and I don't know how much I should say about it because I don't want to be um, disloyal because it's sure. made by good people and produced by a LA friend of mine. The reason I got in the movie is because the producer, Jen Davison, well, no, I, I got in the movie because I, I was right for the part, I suppose, but. Um, I wouldn't have been noticed except that um, the producer was a mum at my kid's school. It's <laughs> such a Hollywood story. And we were going trick-or-treating. It's very uh, relevant. Um, a few years ago, and Jen's like, that's Violet's dad. He's kind of quirky looking. Like, and so she rang Otto Bathurst, who was the originating director on Peaky Blinders and Black Mirror. So he's like, 
hot and who who was the director of this Robin Hood and went, Have you heard of Tim Minchin? And he's English, so yeah. he had and just went, That's the that's Friar Tuck. <laughs> and sure. And um it seemed as obvious. Actually the script was written by another friend of mine, but then um he got moved on in the way that writers get moved off their own projects in Hollywood and another writer and in the end I think I can say without upsetting anyone um, any of the people who made the film who are massive fans of your podcast. <laughs> I'm the, um, a lot. That, I mean, um, I'm amazed I didn't get Friar Tuck. That's no, all I'm no, saying. No, yeah, yeah. No. This is more Friar Tuck. I can shave my hair. Yeah, you look, uh, you look spiritual. Yeah. Um, uh, but it just... What amazes me is, when, is that you can go into production on a... $100 million film like Robin Hood without a script that everyone's happy with. But yeah. it's the way it goes because all these things, script, scripts in LA are just one element of this massive thing. Really it's like, do we have the stars? Are they available? Do we have the studio? Have we built the set? Because on a film like a reboot of Robin Hood or King Arthur or one of these other trying to make more money out of old properties, the thing is like, how do we make it look so good that it competes with Avengers? You know, it's... Yeah. It, that their heads are in all that. Like, how do we compete with Marvel? And how do we compete with Star Wars? So it's going to look amazing. And meanwhile, the script's like, yeah, mm, I think, yeah, we, you know, do what's their draft. And it's just not, I don't give a fuck how big your movie is. I think your script is the only thing that fucking matters until yeah. it's right. I just, and that's why I'll never w- work in Hollywood because I just can't, you know, my, my agent over there's like, well, just get on board as a producer and I'm like no I'm not going to do anything that I can't that that and that's why I've gone home and why I'm back to touring is because I just don't want to do anything that I can't go why well, I, I think that should get made now yeah you know? it seems that does seem weird to me that, that doing films is a lot of people's sort of holy grail and like a lot that most Hollywood films are not as good as any of the things that the people who end up being in them no. are doing already yeah it? that's right um what what is it it's just that at a certain price point, there are a whole lot of executives who have never made anything who are scared. Yeah. When I say never made anything, I mean they're good producers and good executives, but they've never fucking made anything. So they don't know whether it's going to be a good singing animal movie <laughs> yeah. or whether it's going to be a good Robin Hood. They might be really good people, but mostly they're scared because they're like, oh my God, someone's <laughs> giving me a hundred million bucks. Yeah. Fuck. Maybe that's good. Fire that, <laughs> fire that guy. Get that guy. And it's just a shit show. Yeah. And how, for you, you know, coming... You've, I mean, your rise to fame was pretty rapid and then you went even more famous and even more famous and you're going to Hollywood. How was it for you as t- little Timmy Minchin <laughs> inside, inside there, work, yeah. you know, work, uh, working alongside Hollywood, Hollywood stars and, and being part of that? Did, well, you, did you feel like you, this is what, what I was born to do? Or well, do you what's feel your like... experience of that? I well, mean, you... I mean, I've never... <laughs> no, I, uh... but you have met people. I've met you, them, yeah. You have met and... And I'm, very, I'm still very excited. I've met you and I'm excited. Yeah. No, I wasn't I so excited when you weren't in Robin Hood, but now you're in Robin <laughs> yeah. Hood. I'm very excited to meet you. Um, You've met people that you went, fuck, I'm meeting that person. And what's, yeah. what's the experience of it? Well, I mean, I'm, still, but I'm, st- I'm still feeling the same. I think if you plonked me in the middle of a Hollywood blockbuster and I was acting in it, I'd be, I'd be I'd, all the way through. I'd be going, fucking hell, it's Jamie Foxx. What's going on? And then they go, yeah. can you just say the lines that, in the script? And I go, but, well, but let me say hey. this. <laughs> Come on, do you uh, understand what's happening here? I, Did don't, you... I don't know. No. I, 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 
I mean, I've been acting for... I was an actor long before I was a sure, comedian. Sure. I was just a, ba- a bad... I mean, I'm still a bad one, but I'm, I was a failed one. And, and I, I, ha- I, I have to... I think I want to say, without sounding like a, a tool, it's probably that horse has bolted, um, <laughs> that, that I don't... It's just not... A th- it, I, every now and then I meet someone, I go, huh, but it lasts about two seconds, yeah. you know. Because... It's a totally redundant thing to say, but they're obviously all just little Tommy Cruise and little Sandy Bullock, and you know, like they're they're all just humans. Yeah. And I just weirdly don't feel. I think that's a great privilege of being brought up in the most isolated capital city in the world, going to a sort of nice school, and being brought up by strict but kind parents, and just I sort of, on one hand, never believed. I mean, I literally left. Perth at the age of 27, already married, thinking maybe one day I'll be able to write a score for a play at the Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne, maybe, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I mean that like maybe, but, but maybe someone will pay me to play piano and piano, but like at 28, so I was like, oh, one day I'm going to be on Broadway. <laughs> um, so I've got, I'm absolutely rooted in that and I still feel very strongly that I that that my career is uh fluke um and that I've taken my opportunities and worked hard at them but on the other hand I've I just don't give a shit who you are <laughs> yeah. I just don't I just don't know why it, maybe that's an entitled Perth middle class upbringing thing where there just wasn't anyone to be scared of but I I mostly don't feel cowed by people I think that's interesting. I think like some people go to Hollywood and get so into it, and and sort of change and become those people. And well, I don't people think people love how... meeting famous people. Yeah, yeah. Some people love meeting. I, I, I y'all name drop all fucking. I love the people I've got to meet, <laughs> yeah. but I, I don't know. In the end, I'll, I tend not to pursue it. I don't know why. I think mostly I went to a, um, what's the big ball in New York where the mean lady who likes costumes runs? Uh, the 101 Dalmatians? Yeah, that, um, <laughs> she's like that. She's, um, Meryl Streep plays her in a film. Anna Winter. Anna Winter. Um, uh, Met Ball. <clears throat> Met Ball. I went to the Met Ball once when Matilda was opening in New York and I, I just, I, the, the Downton Abbey girls were there and, and they were fucking great. But I got sat next to tiny uh, Christina Ritchie. And she was actually ended up being great. And then there was a, a model and a basketball player and a model and a model and a basketball player or something, Christina Ritchie, and <laughs> me. And I just felt, and this is where the, like, maybe I'll be able to play in a piano bar guy comes up. I'm just sitting there going, I have two concurrent thoughts. One is I am an ugly, <laughs> gross man. I'm surrounded by beautiful, wealthy people. Christina fucking Ricci is gorgeous and like doing, you know, the chin up kind of making sure she's in case someone takes a photo. And I'm like, these people don't want to fucking talk. I've got nothing to say. <laughs> I'm utterly unfunny. I just feel disgusting. And at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, my God, these people have nothing to say. <laughs> like, they have, do not deserve to be... Like, like not, no, not that, not that, but, like, um, oh, my... Like, a, a, feel, a feeling of 100% 
inferiority and significant superiority at the same time. <laughs> and I went through the night and eventually got drunk enough and found the Downton Abbey girls, and that was quite fun. And then they, <laughs> they wanted to meet Beyonce, so I got to meet Beyonce. Uh, but I went home and went, I'm never doing that again. That made me feel like the worst version of myself. Sure. I feel like needy and gross, and I can just see where that fucking leads. Yeah, well, that, but, it, but it's interesting, because I think for some people, it, they go that way, and then they you leave think, I'm behind. Gonna win, I'm going to win in that. Space. Yes, and they, I'm friends with all these people, and that's all that matters, and then that, the art and the, the work they've put in falls away. The, yeah. That's not important. This is what happened to Stuart Lee. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got all wrapped up, didn't he? <laughs> oh. Head in the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> Married a model. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Right, I've, I want to... I think you and me should write musical together. I've got an idea for... You're going to have to do most of the work because I'm a bit lazy. <laughs> Um, you know you did Groundhog Day based on the film? Yeah. I've had an idea. I'm so excited. <laughs> Have you ever seen the film Shrek? <laughs> Why don't we do a... Mu- like, it's the, it's the plot of the movie Shrek. There's but two we do reasons. Musical. Two reasons. Yeah. One, it's a DreamWorks movie. I know all the guys who made it, and it's yeah. a um, uh, DreamWorks. It's too much pain for me. Okay. Two, it's already a musical. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> But we just do it. We do it. Produced a by a very do, good friend of mine. Do a different one. Uh, yeah, well, it, could, the same. it could do with being rewritten. I could do. I've, start, I've, I've started for you. Shrek yeah. comes on. Hello, I am Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beginning. And then you take it on from there. And like 50 50. 50, 50. Yeah, split. Yeah. I think we. If, if that's the quality you're going yeah. for, yeah. We, could have, we could have it written by the end of the night. <laughs> if you're happy with that opening line. Do you think Groundhog Day would have worked better if you'd had a Shrek in it? It's sort of the same character, isn't it? Yeah. The yeah. Phil Connors and Shrek. He's yeah. a curmudgeon who can't see the beauty in the world and needs to learn how to see it. It's the same. There's only fucking three stories in the world. And they all have you in the centre of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I saw Groundhog Day. It was good. Good? It was good. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the problem, like Matilda's so good. Yeah. Groundhog Day's better. I do, well, I. It is. It, no, no, Groundhog Day's better for adults, but um, it's more complicated. It takes yeah. a, people who that I'm. We made a, a terrible miscalculation with uh, musicals cost like a, eighty quid to go see or sixty quid or whatever. And Groundhog Day is better if you've seen it four times and people just don't have that cash. No, um, <laughs> Groundhog Day was very successful in London and won yeah, awards yeah. and stuff and then went to... There's lots of reasons why Groundhog Day didn't work in New York and almost none of them are anything to do with the show. Sure. But um, I like Groundhog Day a lot. Yeah. 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 But Matilda... And, and the weird thing is I'm, I'm, I'm just starting working on another musical and it's definitely... The, so there's... If, if, you, if, you're, if you get a thing like... So, so writing a musical... Um, I should say Dennis Kelly and Matthew Watchers made Matilda. I just wrote some <laughs> fucking songs. But you get a um, stroke of luck. Like it, it's lightning in a fucking bottle. And, and the people who worked on Matilda are just all at the top of the game. And it worked out well. And it happens once in a generation. I'm Billy Oaten, you know, where a family musical can run and run and run. And once you've been involved in something like that, you've got a couple of choices. One is try for the rest of your life to have another one. Yeah. And the other is go... <laughs> Don't have to try for that anymore, and and, <laughs> and it does. It does. It is writing a musical that's a hit does give you enough um, financial security to not be so much under pressure. And I have decided very consciously that I'm completely disinterested in aiming for another ten year running musical. It's an absurd thing to aim for anyway. I mean, that, that's when you start going wrong. That's when you become those fearful execs going, "How do we make Robin Hood as popular as Star Wars?" You just you're just not going to it. And the chances of you making a Robin Hood as successful as one in a hundred and you're going for that, you're like, it's bullshit. So Groundhog Day was deliberately more complex and interesting and the next one's going to be almost inaccessible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in the form. Yeah. I'm not interested in a lot of musicals and I'm no, I'm no fucking snob. I can't read music. I, I ain't trying to be Sondheim, but I'm only interested in musicals to the extent that they are an interesting form to try and do cool stuff with. Yeah. And if I'm not going to do that, then I'll, I've got other things. I can do, go on tour or like, get in a, do a TV show. Sure. Well, it's true. And it's also, I mean, I find that fascinating and as someone who's writing stuff as well, that people get to that stage when they've got that complete financial security and yet they still churn out stuff that is, you know, increasingly... Uh, to, to, to pop, populist to make money and you kind of think why wouldn't you just at least do every other one just do something really weird you know you can do whatever you've got to the point where you've, you well, can do whatever you want well some people don't want to so no, like true. Um, I want to talk about Richard Curtis without at all because I love him I think he's a, not only an incredible writer but one of the most amazing people like he literally spends 50% of every year just working on charity and comic relief you know like he's an amazing ethical, beautiful, funny guy. But he's not trying to write another... He's not trying to write Four Weddings and Notting Hill because they were commercially successful and he's going... It's, it's what, he writes yeah. like that. He, he writes... He doesn't want to be fucking Beckett. He wants to write beautifully constructed... So, so he's written yesterday. And it's not because he's trying... It, it's how he writes, right? Whereas Matilda... For both Dennis and I, was probably like, a, oh, I wonder what it would be like to try and do a Roald Dahl story, but it's not our thing. No. You know, and I've been asked to do many children's musicals since, and I've said no, because I don't self-identify as a primarily children's artist. No. <laughs> Were you excited I when, uh, when Alan Sugar opened the... When Alan Sugar opened an episode of The Apprentice on the Matilda set, did that make you excited when you saw that? <laughs> did you know that had happened? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't really know, know who Alan Sugar is, and I don't really know what The Apprentice. He's like the. I think you, Donald Trump was the. Apprentice. Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the American Apprentice. Yeah. And, and whatever happened to him? I don't know. <laughs> Presumably, Alan Sugar is. And the, actually, I've, I've tweeted Alan Sugar a lot uh, over the years. So, the only time he ever replied to me was when Trump got in, and I said, "Do you think you're going to be the next Prime Minister?" And he said, "No." That was it. Other than that, he was hard right. To, yeah, it's hard to reply to. Me. Yeah. But the. The, the candidate, you're standing on the set of, the, of Matilda, and then all the bookcases come in, and the candidates all go, Ooh. <laughs> Why, look, why did they use up. that set? Because uh, we they were, were doing, doing some... what were they doing? I mean, children's toys. So they were, oh, they it's were, a good set for that. Yeah. 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 You, you probably got some money off of that. <laughs> I doubt it. I'd say we got some PR. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say we got it some advertising. Right, I'm going to ask you some uh, new emergency questions that we haven't asked you before. Okay. Um, How's this going, by the way? Is this all right? I'm loving it. I don't know about the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, quite, it's meant to be quite funny, isn't it? Well, it can be, but we've done some... Fun, like, you know, once you've done a couple of funny ones, we can, take, we can do serious ones. Yeah, uh, and you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm. Two newspapers have called me the best interviewer in the in the country now. Well, they're so both now very right wing. I've got. They were. Something that's it's mainly about. because I hate poor people, and I just put that in. Screen. Do you agree that poor people are horrible? I don't hate them. I just think it's their fault. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, need to work harder. Uh, Here's, my, here's a new emergency question for you that I definitely haven't asked you. Uh, if you, uh, all the art galleries and museums in the world decide that you are allowed to take one item from one of the museums and keep it for yourself, what one painting or piece of uh, exhibition from a museum or anything, piece of history, would you take home with you if you could have from any museum? In, the, in Hobart, in the Museum of Old and New Art, which is one of the best modern art museums in the world, there's a a sort of robotic working cloaca that shits every couple of hours. <laughs> okay, I like that. Don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I have a sculpture that's been bought by the Singaporean government? Yes, definitely. There's a, um, there's a Salvador Dali sculpture in Singapore in a foyer of a commercial building called Newton or something. Does anyone know it? It's, it's got a hole in his chest and a, a round... A, Sphere hanging for, anyway. It's just so sounds good. like all sculptures in the world. Too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's beautifully proportioned, yeah. but that that shows that I don't know shit about art yeah. because I suppose I should take something classical. I don't yeah, want it fucking. Could. It does, but it could be anything. It doesn't have to be anything. I like La Pieta of, uh, that's in. Uh, that's, that's my favourite sculpture of Jesus being cradled by Mary. It's in the. Uh, Vatican or somewhere yeah. or St. Paul's or Peter or whatever it's called in Rome. When he's just <laughs> off the cross or when he's a yeah, baby? Yeah, he's off the cross. It's yeah. a bit out of proportion. He's all yeah. dead on her. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, oh, he's loved. No, it's beautiful. He's, he looks hot in his mum. So that's his good side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the light was good And that he's day. slightly winking because he knows he's coming back. You know, yeah. He's, okay. <laughs> Is it the prostitute or his mum? I think it's his mum, but, you know, that's confusing, isn't it? The... Was his mum there or the prostitute? Um... I think it's his mum in the in the, in the and also Mary Magdalene wasn't a prostitute. That's just a no. She was just a woman without a husband, which is as good yeah. as. <laughs> she liked washing people's feet with her hair. That's not yeah. In that book, yeah. it's it, it's it's indistinct. Just like virgin meant maiden. Yeah, know, I don't sul- need to tell. Or sultanas. <laughs> so mistranslations all over the shop. Um, I like Dali. I know it's very sort yeah. of you know uni student of me, but I also like Jesus's three D cross. 
Jesus, yeah. um, Dali's Jesus crucifixion thingy. Well, he, he did a few of them, actually. You can have those. That's sorted Thank out. you very it's much. It's actually a power that's been granted me. I'm allowed to give. That's amazing. Yeah, it's nice. I'll be waiting for you when you get home. It's a lot of It's the people who choose things that aren't worth much money are really kicking themselves. <laughs> Two people have got the Mona Lisa so far, so, you know, it's going to be some fun. There are a couple of them knocking about, though, so it's okay. Mm. Uh, have you ever been refused entry to a country? How did I do that? Just like have you spilled wine. wine on my lovely shirt? My lovely... Fuck your couch. Look at my pants. <laughs> that was just weird. It's like a hole appeared in my... Ask me the question. Have you ever been refused entry to a country? I've never asked anyone that question. I don't remember writing it. Um, no. <laughs> I've never been refused entry to a country. Right. I met a girl on holiday once. Where oh, was yeah. I? Mm. I was in Here Thailand. Uh, and she was an Aussie, I think. Did she refuse you entry? No, she didn't. <laughs> she swear this story is She did, she did. It's a bawdy story. Uh, she was, she'd been refused entry. She'd gone to America, and then they'd found out she had a drug conviction. She was going there, had a big holiday in America planned, and then she wasn't allowed into America, so she came to Thailand and said, where I met her, and walked her up the beach, and walked her back down the beach, and then we both went. <laughs> Asked her some benign <laughs> questions. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I mean, getting into America is a bit of a punish you'd have to stand there for three hours and then have a grumpy person ask you questions but they've never turned me away Good. i don't have any uh interesting things about me except you've never for, been convicted of anything no nope. have you no have you i mean i've got away with all my stuff yeah, I, right. I steal lots of i still pick a mix if america hears about that they won't let me in <laughs> no, so totally. we'll have to edit that out <laughs> case of Mar- I don't want to go to. I don't Are really you going to-, to America? No, I don't want to You've go. You've never to- been to America? I have been to America, but since Trump's got in, I don't really want to go there till he's not there anymore. That was another big thing about leaving. Yeah. It's this palpable sense of get me the fuck out of here. It's just crazy. And is if- Australia a safe place to go in those? Because the UK is not a safe place to go well, in those. Well, we terms. have a fundamentalist Christian prime minister. Yeah. But. I don't know, we just dig primary resources out of Aboriginal land and sell it to China, we're fine. (laughs) It's a funny thing, Australians, there's a lot about Australia that's very nice. I'm hyper aware of the fact, I'm like, God, places should just be a bit more like Australia. Our health system has a balance between private and public and everyone gets health, but people can pay for insurance and our education system's really, really good. And then I go, yeah, that's because we uh, control immigration despotically and we uh, dig primary resor- unsustainable primary resources out of Aboriginal land and we uh, like, I mean we just it, we can do all that because we're rich and heartless yeah, yeah. but it's lovely <laughs> <laughs> it's quite short term I had George Monbiot on quite recently oh, I would have loved to it was, have yeah, seen it that. was yesterday uh, How was for me, it? it was yesterday. It was really good, but it's depressing as to hell because you know He's we have pretty to, depressing. We have to. I mean, he was a very good interviewee, but the 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 message is not very. When good. When I say it's depressing, what's so depressing is when smart people are feeling really pessimistic. You go, "Fuck!" Yeah. Any optimism I have must be because I'm too dumb to see it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't have fucking much. So either I'm quite smart or I'm just well. Like, I think sad. he's quite optimistic, but I just don't. He's, he thinks we can save the world by just getting rid of capitalism and all banding together. I just don't really see that happening. I'm not even enough. sure if that's right, but I'd love yeah. to have the argument from massive ignorance. I yeah. I'm just not... Every now and then I read something of, by someone that I think is very, very bright, and I think, oh, shit, you're, you're really... Um, you think... You're, you're quite Pollyanna-ish. Like, you think humans are lovely. <laughs> Fuck. So, so you're... House on the Hill, your 
you know, golden fucking light on the hill involves humans not being primates, not yeah. being fundamentally competitive, sexually competitive, competitive for resources, driven by every... I mean, maybe my friend Adam Rutherford argue with me and say I'm doing evolutionary psychology and it's bullshit, but I, I feel like any system that doesn't acknowledge our competitiveness is doomed, isn't it? I mean, it's, I just it's think we, massively I, don't, I can't see. I think eventually common sense will kick in, if the th- but it will, take, it will take things going so wrong that it'll be too late. I don't think common sense will kick in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Has common sense ever kicked in? I mean... Well, well, I think I mean, like when things are... Fighting the Nazis wasn't common sense. It was nationalism pressed into service of something. You know, like, I'm not sure it's common sense. It's... Well, we, we know, he's... I, I, I was saying, you know, capital, people who are capitalist, if the world's destroyed, then, you know, it's not good. You have use having lots of money, is it? There's going to come a point where yes. money's worthless. So that's self Yeah, so there must, there'll come in, a point yeah. where they'll go, fuck, my money's going to be worthless if we don't do something about this. It think, might be worth yeah. tossing off a couple of million off these 55 billion. I, I, I think in terms of sustainable energy and stuff, um, the, it, it's already tipped. We're, we're on our way. Yeah. It's just that it's too slow and there's too many people trying to hold it back. I, I think we're, we're going in the right direction. It's just really, really too, too slow. So market forces aren't making it move fast enough and I'm not sure all our screaming and Greta are going to make it move much faster. But... It's better this year. It is a acknowledgement of climate science data is surely a lot better this year than it was five years ago. Yeah, I, you know, the, I mean that's his argument that Extinction Rebellion have already done quite a lot in a very short time. Yeah, you know, in terms of raising awareness. Let's uh, move on. It's d- d- it was depressing enough yesterday. <laughs> You're, you're more depressing than like, George because he, like, he thought... I'm depressing be... but without any knowledge. Might be... <laughs> it's ignorant and depressing. It's like watching Parliament. You, you were very... Um, you were very inspirational in your... I mean, it's a, the, it's a while ago, the one I watched you, where you were doing the, I don't know what it's called, valedictory speech yeah, or whatever yeah. to the students. Funny hat talk. Funny hat, red, yeah. red coat, jet, gown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you get to do that sort of stuff a lot? Is that was that uh... done a few of them? Yeah, yeah. Um, three, I think. Yeah. It's three a few. Do you do the same speech? Or have you yeah, to write roll it out. <laughs> um, no, I did a speech on the set of uh, of Matilda, right. uh, like Alan Sugar. Yeah. I just just took Alan Sugar quotes and. Um, but uh, no, I did a speech for um, Mount View grads about being an actor, and it was quite like being an actor is shit. You should do something else. It's quite <laughs> yeah. a little bit contentious. And I just did one at um, my old uni in Perth, my other old uni in Perth. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a big honour to be asked to do that sort of thing. Yeah, it's an exchange. I understand the nature of the exchange. Yeah. Which is, we'll give you a fake degree, you give us a good speech. So get, <laughs> get us some hits on the internet and maybe get a few students in. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I think that's all right. I think the fake degrees are... I don't think they're meaningless. So they, don't, they give people fake degrees if they think they've done stuff. Yeah. Have you hung up your fake degree? And, and um, I've got four. <laughs> <laughs> I've got four honorary doctorates. One I refused eventually because it's silly. But um, I don't know where they are, actually. No. They're somewhere, though. I, I mean, yet. I think they're amazing. I, I, I mean, I, I, when I first got offered one, I went, oh, do I accept this? And mum went, don't be a prick. Someone's, <laughs> you know, like, just, it's, uh, there's being sort of, 
acknowledging the reality of it and then there's just being a smug dick. Like, yeah. you, no, there's, no one's getting hurt by someone saying, you went to our uni and we think you did, did good at your stuff. Yeah. Um, but I also like the opportunity to try and do a nice speech. It's a good challenge. It's, it's yeah. like, you know, you scribble some things. And, um, <laughs> but I, I think there's a point at which... I mean, I feel that about this podcast too and you can't tell because I talk so much, but I, I really hit a point where I'm like, I'm not that interesting. I need to shut the fuck up <laughs> and stop, like, acting as if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, my skill is I'm able to structure sentences with endings. Yeah. But, but that... And, it, and it, it's sort of like an avatar for wisdom. But it, it's not... There's nothing... But you are... Me. But you are... There's a lot of wisdom. These... You know, your songs are so beautiful um, and always contain, like, A, a fan, fantastic lyrics, which is what fascinates me because I love words even more than music. But the, the, the lyrics are fantastic. But the ideas in them are... A dense, especially for you know a lot of for songs. dense people. Well, yeah, <laughs> dense lyrics. No, but for they're dense, dense, they're dense really... and you don't get that in many songs. No, you don't get many a, songs yeah. that are, that you can listen to ten times in a row and get something out. of. Oh, good. Thanks for saying that. That's yeah. good. That's what I want. Yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> good. That's Ca- good. Okay. Carry, good. Carry on with can that. I go now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, fuck. You get used to. You get asked to talk enough, and you start thinking you've got something to say. Not necessarily. The case. It's not necessarily true, but you know, on a, we have to pretend on this that, that we have, otherwise the whole thing falls apart. Well, <laughs> well, uh, in my sort of, you know, <laughs> what I was saying earlier <laughs> yeah. about feeling both tiny status and high status at the same yeah. time, and I talk in my show about the balance between self-loathing and pride. In that balance is that I think I've got nothing to say, and most of the people saying shit are dumb as shit. So if we don't say something, then they'll just fill the fucking space. <laughs> it's good. Um, I mean, I'm sure we met, I don't think we talked about this song before I was watching. It's, it, it's a very big pleasure for me to do this podcast, as difficult it is doing six in five days. But, uh, oh, it's, my uh, God. But I lost uh, a movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, I wrote something for Channel 4 and then they didn't make it. Um, um, My dog has anxiety (laughs) issues. (laughs) I loved the the, the one about uh, Sam's mum's... Thank you, God, for Sam's mum's cataracts. Yeah, that's in the tour. That's one of the old songs in the tour. It's a great song. Well, it's like... It's so mean as well, yeah, but in a really mean. great way. Yeah. Is it a real... Did, will, Sam like a James recon- O'Brien will, will Sam recognise himself? Will Sam no, I don't know. I don't know if Sam looks at that stuff. No. It's a problem with our Prime Minister. I think about Scott Morrison. I think all week he's in Canberra just talking to people who want something from him. And on the weekend, when you think maybe the Prime Minister will be like reading an interesting book, he's literally doing the... Proper Hillsong Church, you know, pray for rain, proper literal Jesus stuff. And you think, when are you going to have any thoughts? You know, like, <laughs> when are you, what, where's the data that's going in that's helping expand your worldview? Yeah. Why did I talk about the prime? I just totally. Why do you say it is that? Is that faith? I mean, I think faith. Oh yeah, Sam. Well, it's yeah. an interesting thing. I mean, you know, I think faith, I think religions got the human race to where we are. I think we wouldn't have got here without. Oh religion. yeah, it's been very but, functional. But we won't get to the next bit with religion. Yeah, because I, I think that's the problem. People believe that someone's going to come and rescue us, even if it's it might not be God, but they think science will come to the rescue or 
or that just yeah. someone would come and Donald Trump would go, no, it's not, none of this stuff's true, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, what is true, I guess, is that stories are all we have. Like, and I've actually come to the point, having been quite sort of pragmatic and cynical about art, I've always been like, you know, people are like, yeah, art's you know, really important. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like a job you can do and it's as important as anything. But I actually... It's not so much art, but stories are, stories are everything. So if we don't have the story of religion, what's the story we're telling ourselves? You know, we no longer... So um, Britain and America are trying to reassert the story of nationalism, which is an arbitrary boundary based on space but, but, or based on arbitrarily fought for borders. But we're trying to reassert the idea of nationalism because we think... That's the story that helped us through the last challenge. What did you say? You all come to our senses. What actually we did is we, we gathered together under a, a flag, an arbitrary story, a bunch of lines that someone drew in their fucking study one day. And so nationalism as a story has been useful. Religion as a story has been useful. What we need to get to, quick smart, <laughs> is the story that the human race requires each other to face the big challenges, which yeah. at the moment is, apart from the ones that are getting old but are still a problem, like nuclear proliferation, is climate. And uh, it's, we are so... Unfortunately, the old good stories, the old useful stories, are a barrier to the new useful story because nationalism required us to be parochial and racist and... You know, some of these old boys still, the way they talk about, you know, the way the fucking those Sunday Mail or whatever the hell talks about Germany as if we're still in the Second World War. It's insane. They're still talking about the Krauts and doing pictures of, you know, Angela Merkel with the spike on a helmet. It's like they're children still trying to assert a story that's no longer useful, but that is the thing in between us and the new story, which is the human race is the new tribe and without each other we will die. Yeah. How do you tell that story? Yeah, well... Don't you clap at me. I don't know where you're from. (laughs) (laughs) Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. (laughs) We have all the... You know, but we do have the, the... we have the internet in place, you know, we could communicate yeah, with anyone so. in the world. You would think that we that thought would have that saved would, us. We thought that was going to break down yeah. the barriers. No. <laughs> no, the internet has made this, us more trouble. This podcast is going to do it. This, this, this podcast. Just this, this one. Episode this episode. Podcast. This podcast yeah. is going to go all around the yeah. world. We're going to translate into every language. So I talk, a bit, <laughs> I talk a bit in my show about empathy and, like, and about public shaming. And I, yeah. I, you know, I do understand that, you know, privileged white guys going on about how public shaming is the problem, it get, gets you slammed because it's like public shaming is not the problem. The fuckheads we're shaming are the problem, you know. You, it's easy for you to look and... But I do... I am trying to find a way to talk about how um, anger can't be the only mechanism for change. It, it, in our progressive mob, it seems to be quite cool to explicitly say, I don't care how that person feels... I'm going to fucking destroy them because they are fascists or whatever the narrative is. And it's like, man, wow. So the the thesis is, the hypothesis is oppressing my empathy for people who 
don't know what I know or don't feel what I feel or haven't read what I've read is the mechanism by which we're going to move forward. It feels intuitively problematic, doesn't it? Like, it does, yeah. yeah let's, shut, let's make sure we don't feel anything for that white middle American guy who n- has never met a gay person or whatever the fuck their ignorance is. Yeah. You know? you, you, the challenge for progressives is not just to be empathic for death row inmates and, you know, the things that are our things we're really good at being, but to be empathic for a racist. That's our job, you know. Yeah. Because we've got education. <laughs> it's true. Well, let me tell you know, a little bit anyway. <laughs> a little bit. In Richard's I, case, <laughs> I have some, but it's all fallen out of my head uh, as a result of being stupid for thirty years. <laughs> Pretending I pretended to be stupid so long, I've become stupid. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Um, Oh, well, where are we? Oh, my goodness. We've, it's, it's flown I've by. I've ground this down. No, I? it's good. I, like, you know, right. I do that these days. It's all right. I'll, 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 I, can, I, can, I can dig us out of anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll find a way. Sarah Pascoe. Sarah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's going to be another serious one with her. I feel sorry for the people at home who've got to listen to four fucking serious maybe podcasts that's, in they, a row. That, Maybe they want that. Maybe yeah, they're sick of your flippant time. nonsense. About time. <laughs> Let's see if they are. <laughs> um, test them. I've asked you that question before. I haven't asked you many. Here's a question. <laughs> um, here's a question. Have you ever been in a motorboat? There you go. That's going to save. That's going to save us. What, what, what? I don't know. I don't know what a motorboat is. Yeah, I've, I've never a, been in one. I've been on a motorboat. Have what you? do you mean you've never been on a motorboat? I don't think I've been on a motorboat. Have you been on any sort of boat? I've been on a. a Rowboat. Uh, rowboat. Canoe. I've, I've been in a canoe. I've been in. I've rowed uh, in a fake Oxford Cambridge boat race with uh, Toby Young and oh, yeah. Connie Huck. Oh yeah. yeah. How did uh, Toby and Connie get on? <laughs> <laughs> they had to be kept in different boats. Uh, yeah, that's right. Toby's insistence. The Cox. Uh, Jonathan Aitken was there as well. It oh, was yeah. a it was a merry mix. Yeah. Of despicable but people. Never with a motor. Never with a. I don't think with a motor. I don't think I've done the motor. That's fucking weird. How do you get across water? I just um, fly. Yeah, oh, I guess. Uh, yeah. It's ferry, does a ferry count as a motorboat? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I've been in a, I've been in a motorboat. Yeah, well, that's... What, <laughs> it's a motor It's boat. a big motorboat. I've been in a ferry. I think a ferry's a motorboat. Yeah. You mean like... I mean like... Have you ever... Water, I've been in all those Have boats. you ever water skied? Not successfully. <laughs> okay. I tried when I was very young. Okay. And I've like uh, sk- skirt. I've stood up on a surfboard behind a boat. Have you? Does that count? Yeah, definitely. Have you snow skied? Uh, yeah, I'm really bad. If you, go, if you go online and put Rich Herring skiing into YouTube, you'll find my most successful attempt at skiing where I seem not to be moving, <laughs> but I'm very slowly moving and then somehow still manage to trip over my skis. I think you're going to become a good skier. In the I'm future. really not. I've been twice. My wife, who I know you love, um, <laughs> and I hope you look. If I die, I hope you will look after her. My oh, no. children. I'm look after her. Fine. <laughs> um, she she likes skiing and wants to go skiing. And I I will go I skiing do. with your you wife. You go skiing. I'm very happy to go skiing with your I'll wife. Look after my the wife and I will go skiing with your wife. <laughs> and by skiing, I mean snowboarding. <laughs> I don't. I didn't like it. I don't like skiing. I don't. I don't think I'd like snowboarding. You don't like motorboats. I don't. Well, I like. No one's offered to take me on one. If anyone's listening at home, wants to come and seen... visit me in Sydney, I'll take you on a motorboat. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a date. It's definitely going to happen. 
All right. La, this is the question that's going to rescue this podcast and it's going to, people are going to be oh, talking no, about I this. No, I haven't done a podcast I'm that joking. needs rescuing, yeah, have I? It's been... It's been, all, it's been you know what you're going to The last time you were on was Matilda. This is like Groundhog Day. When so you it's... Um... <laughs> when, you know what you're going to get when you invite me on a podcast. You're, you're all... so handsome on the sleeve of that book. <laughs> You were so handsome. You're still quite beautiful. What happened? But we're old. It's ter- it's ter- you're, you're, not, you're, still, you're still looking young. I look pink. <laughs> I get hot. It's enjoy the, whatever age you are now, Tim. I know, you have to. It's enjoy not getting that better, age, is it? Because it then gets much, much worse. 44. 44's great. 44, yeah. Well, 44's probably just the end of great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how just, I feel. You've probably got one more good year, and then it's... Okay. Well, I'm going to thrash it. I'm going to You're looking good. You're looking good. And I was, I was probably about 44 in that photo. Yeah, you look much... I look different, don't I? Better. <laughs> it is better. Greyness is tough, isn't it? It is. It is, but, you know, about getting old stuff because you sort of still feel like they'll just go, all right, you're allowed to be young again. Yeah. Then, now you get another... You're back to 30 again now. Off you go. You yeah. still feel that's going to happen. And then you go, oh, no, that isn't... I'm not ever going to be young again. They're not going to let me go back. Yeah, women talk a lot about how my wife is a bit old, my age. And definitely that the feeling of not being noticed is... You know, she's beautiful and lovely looking. I mean, she's not your wife, but... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to just count the levels on which that's wrong. Um, uh, she's beautiful yeah. and... and She's, she's never... Beauty hasn't been her main thing, but definitely she went, oh, fuck, I feel... It, it had a big effect. And do you think it's... Yeah. Do you think it's bigger for women? I suppose it is bigger for, bigger for women, or do women just not it, talk I, about I it? I think it happens to... You know, I, I, I do feel it. I, you know, it's, sort of, it's a stupid thing, because it's absolutely an ego thing, where you go, I, I just want like, to be... Like, fancy. I just want someone to fancy me. Yeah. And then uh, it's... You know, and it's, it's slightly annoying that they don't, you're not noticed, you know. Yeah. You're sitting in a cafe and there's a, a couple yeah, of pretty young women and there and you're sort of smiling at them and you think, oh no, fuck, I'm like a really better. creepy old man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gay. just trying to be friendly, I'm not trying to pick you up, but you know. Gay dudes would like you though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, they look <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, I would, you know, I would just like the opportunity to prove to my wife how much I love her. You know your friends who are in like um, who have normal jobs. I think there's an obviously an egotism and a sort of in our industry where it, it, you're used to people looking at you, whatever. But I have friends who like turned about 35 and just went, yeah, fuck it, <laughs> just bam, hair fell out, and they just don't. They're just really happy, yeah. really happy with their wives and their big bellies, and maybe every now and then they'll go on a motorboat and they'll just like. <laughs> Were, and they're just, ha- they're really, ha- that, it doesn't bother them in the slightest. I hey! think it, it's, it's solipsism. I've been on a motorboat. I've been on a motorboat. You it's just remembered. Right. I remembered when I went on a motorboat. I knew you'd been on a motorboat. <laughs> brilliant. I knew you had. I've been on a motorboat. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this has been, have you been on a motorboat with Richard Harris? I've been on a motorboat. <laughs> and there's a way bring out the captain of the motorboat. And the motorboat. I've been on a motorboat with a man in Finland. Who was the Finnish me when I did when they did Talking Cock in Finland? Oh, it was that was a great weekend I had in Finland. I got I went to Finland. They put on my show in an incomprehensible language. It went really well. Uh, a really beautiful woman had sex with me after the show. Amazing, it was awesome. A Finn? 
Yeah, Finnish, beautiful Finnish woman had Never sex had with me. Never had sex with a Finn. And then I went on a motorboat the next day. <laughs> we ate sausages on a beach. And uh, I love that you had forgotten I'd it. I'd forgotten it. It's one of I the... mean, that is a much better motorboat experience. <laughs> when I went on a motorboat, I had not been fucked by a Finn. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember mine. I think I might have oh. been jerked off by a Perth girl. <laughs> Best. <laughs> if you're listening, Paula, hello. It's a nice. <laughs> she didn't. I was annoyed though because I tried to. It was there for two nights, and I tried to hook up with her again the second night. Paula. Yeah, Paula. She didn't want to see me again the second night. <laughs> but then we we corresponded via like probably MySpace. It was a while ago. <laughs> it was via Google. It was Translate. it was pre my wife. I should mention. <laughs> mm. It was some good time ago. No. I was You're young a good man. I was young and beautiful. Since you got married, you have never, <laughs> have never been on a motorboat. <laughs> Can't believe I forgot that motorboat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we... <laughs> we bet. See, you know, sometimes the emergency questions you think, there's, that's not going anywhere. They're the ones... That and it ends up on a beach up. eating yeah, sausages. <laughs> with a post-coital <laughs> fin. Uh, hung over... <laughs> With some fat Finnish men. <laughs> what? I, I could have been. I could have been. I wasn't on the motorbike. I was on a motorboat with a guy been in the show and a couple of his mates. Oh, and it was that... only when I was like on the island I thought, oh, I don't really know who these people are. <laughs> these people in Finland have taken me to a remote island in Finland to eat sausages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After I've just had sex with one of their women and they know it, they know what I've done. One of their I've... women. <laughs> Richard Herring. I don't think the Scandinavians still own women. <laughs> they do. They're very Viking. Um, anyway, happy very days. Viking. Yeah. I feel sad. <laughs> I was in Cardiff this morning. <laughs> Thank you for coming to do this. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was really nice of you. It was 70% a pleasure. <laughs> it's been lovely. You're always awesome. What's coming up that you can tell us about? Anything that just more of the toy touring in Australia? This is going out in about six or seven months' time, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> well, it's not much use then. But my, no. I've got I've made a TV show that yeah. I is I'm it's my favourite thing I've ever been involved in called yeah. Upright. Mm. Yeah. It's on on the 28th of November on Sky Atlantic. Okay. Or now TV, which you can trial for free and watch my show and then let it go. Good. Don't do a free advert for them. They sometimes pay us to say that. So. Uh, it's... <laughs> But yeah, it's a good. It's it's a like I helped write it and yeah. I was in it and stuff. It's like the, it's the opposite. It, the, the script is the script was everything, and then we filmed it, and then at the end, it looked like the script, but on telly. Yeah, yeah. it's about taking a piano across Australia. About taking a piano across Australia. Yeah. It's not really about that, though, is it? No, it's a metaphor, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> I'm not as interested in that. I like that. <laughs> no, I'm it quite, is actually about a mainly piano. transporting yeah. a piano. Uh, it's pretty good, though. Yeah. I mean, unless you hate it, in which case... I'm okay. going to watch it, and I'll let you know the next time you come on. Yeah, I'll send it. it to you ahead okay. of time, so okay. you can tell your friends. Okay. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, we bleed you with massive round of applause, Tim Mitchell! <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. You have 
have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Rich Herring, and my guest, Tim Minchin. Thank you very much to Pest for the letting us use this music. I'm going to level with you. They don't record it every week. It's a record. You can get them in the shops. Thank you very much to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for having us back after all this time. Thank you very much to Chris Evans, not that one, and everyone at GoFasterStrike.com. I'm indebted to everyone at ACAS. I'm also indebted, of course, to my producer, Ben Walker, uh, the executive producer this week. What a fellow he was, quite the dandy. Uh, well, he's called Andy Wilson. I call him Dandy Wilson behind his back, but it's kind of a compliment I should do it to his face. Thanks, Andy, for exec producing this week's episode. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and Go GoFasterStrike.com production. Why not just become a bloody monthly badger at GoFasterStrike.com slash badges. £3 a month. You're getting eight podcasts a week. Well, a month at the moment. That's crazy. Plus loads of other extra stuff. And you get loads of extras if you become one of our lovely badges why don't you do it you know you want to you love it you love it bye imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Thanks for listening. Go to GoFasterStrike.com for all your download needs. Thank you to Chris Evans, as always. Not that one, uh, for the spectacular work he does on all of these podcasts. Uh, RichardHerring.com for all your gigs needs as well. Thanks for listening. Listen to another one. Go on, I dare you.